Hello, and welcome to episode 64 of The Witcher chapter-by-chapter -chapter book review, where I'll go through a summary of the latest chapter and give my detailed thoughts on it, like I always do. <laughs> Today I'm discussing chapters 13 and 14 from Season of Storms. And guess what? There is a... I mean, there is an <laughs> interlude. There's an interlude that is going to come after chapter 14, so we're going to... We're going to go through that one too. And then we'll do 15, chapter 15 in the next one. And chapter 16. There you go. You get a little preview because I normally don't know what I'm going to do, but I am moving as fast as I possibly can to get these episodes out because I'm going on a couple of trips soon and it's really hard to work on this when I'm out of town. So I am a little bit ahead of schedule. Never happens for me. Uh, but let's get into it. I'm not going to bore you with these details that have absolutely nothing to do with The Witcher. Uh, I've got a lot of notes in front of me. I think this is the uh, the most amount of pages I've had of notes so far in the Season of Storms coverage. So let's kick it off with the recap. We'll do the summary and then we will go through everything that happens in these chapters. So recap. Geralt discovered one of Risberg's top mages, Sorrel Deggerland, was behind the attacks on the local settlements with the assistance of very large and strong crossbreeds who were created at Risberg. Deggerland temporarily captured Geralt who escaped but ran into him later while the Witcher was captured by marauders knocking over Temerian border posts. Luckily for Geralt, Daggerlin and his cohorts attacked the brigands, giving Geralt a chance to seize one of their horses and flee the scene. And that is where we left off with Geralt. So here is the summary. Let's find out what happened to him after he got away. Having narrowly escaped from the clutches of the brigands and Daggerlin, Geralt eventually finds himself seeking refuge at a post station. It is here that he meets Adario Bach, a jovial dwarf with whom he quickly strikes up a friendship over a few rounds of drinks. However, their peaceful respite is suddenly interrupted by the arrival of three of the brigands who Geralt just escaped from. Blaming him for the deaths of their companions, they try to attack Geralt, but he disarms them before they can inflict any harm. Then a group of soldiers who served to Maria suddenly entered the station. They are on the hunt for a band of criminals who have been wreaking havoc along the border. Nadario steps in, steps in to vouch for the three, hating the sight of hangings. The soldiers leave, and Geralt tells the trio to clear out too. Sensing that it's time to move on, Geralt decides to continue his journey to Novigrad for the auction, and Adario readily agrees to accompany him. Their journey takes them to a port where they hope to set sail so that Adario can get to his destination of Tredegor, and Geralt can quickly get to Novigrad. A group of travelers approaches them claiming to be on a rescue mission and seeking the protection of a witcher for their river voyage back to Novigrad. 
However, their true intentions soon become clear as they reveal that they have kidnapped a little girl from an aguara, a fox-like creature that can assume the form of a woman and snatch young elven girls to turn them into aguaras themselves. Geralt advises them to release the girl, knowing full well that the aguara will never let them off the hook otherwise. But as they head to the boat's cabin to retreat the girl, they discover that one of the merchants entrusted with guarding her has already killed her. A violent storm suddenly descends upon them, leaving them stranded in unfamiliar waters with the compass pointing in the wrong direction. As they struggle to make sense of their predicament, they notice a mysterious woman perched on a tree bough, watching them intently before watching them intently before transforming into a fox and disappearing from sight. It's clear that their troubles are far from over. Right in that spooky part, Siri on my watch just needs to start talking to me. I, I still don't understand why it happens. Like the character Siri isn't even in this book. <laughs> so I, that's what would normally happen. I would talk about Siri and then the Apple Siri decides to chime in. I don't, I don't get it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm talking about the spooky part too and the mood killed. Okay. Anyway, the interlude that follows chapter 14 propels us 127 years into the future where we once again encounter Nimue, the sorcerer, the sorcerers who played a vital role in aiding Siri in the Lady of the Lake. There, I said it. And it's like it knew. It knew I was going to say that name. <laughs> So we are reintroduced to Nimue as a young woman embarking on a journey to Aratusa to pursue her studies in magic. So that was the summary. That was the summary rudely interrupted by a robot. Um, but I guess that's uh, the times we live in. Just robots are going to be interrupting us uh, while we're trying to do podcasts. <laughs> okay. Well... At the top of chapter 13, Geralt arrives at the post station and Dario Bach, I don't know if it's meant to be pronounced Bach, I'm so tired of struggling with these pronunciations, but I'm saying it that way because it reminds me of the um, old dead famous composer, his name is spelled the same way and pronounced like Bach, not Batch, so I'm just going to call him Dario Bach. Um, he's super nice and friendly and because Geralt has only just met him, we are only just meeting him, and I already like him a lot. This is a fantastic character. Uh, so he's here because he arrived on a mail coach, and he's waiting to be transferred on the next mail coach heading near Tredegor. And a post station, by the way, if you didn't know, because I wasn't too familiar with this practice as we live in a time um, with much faster transportation than horses and our own two feet. And we live in a time with interrupting robots. Um, so they were also called stage stations and they were places where people traveling long distances by horse or horse drawn vehicles could stop to rest, get food, lodging, and they could change their tired horses for fresh ones. And they were usually spaced a day's journey apart and they were located along major roads. And it seems that they also can offer people rides on mail coaches that travel from station to station, which is what Adario was doing. So that is um, a little bit more education 
than you were probably expecting to get on a post station. Apologies if you already knew what that was, but I, I figured if I didn't know, I'm sure some other people probably don't know, but yeah, maybe I'm the only one. So anyway, they're hanging out. Geralt, Dario, um, Geralt gets to eat for the first time in a while. And then while they're sitting there, two horses show up outside with three riders and three riders are Legenza, Trent, and Frigga. So three members of the group that tried to capture Geralt in the previous chapter. Uh, Frigga was the only one I had mentioned by name up until now. So Legenza and Trent were two of the other people. Um, and those two, along with Frigga, were the only survivors. And Frigga was the one who um, had her horse stolen by Geralt and who he punched. So she's got pretty bad feelings towards him. Uh, so they walk in and the postmaster starts telling them that they don't have any horses at the moment. This is the same thing that he told Geralt when Geralt um, first walked in. But Frigga aggressively just says, yep, that's what we need. Horses don't care what you got to say about it. Uh, don't care what you have to say about any horses. Just hand them over and even tries to threaten him. So Geralt steps in to defend the postmaster and also steps in because I guess he understands they're bound to see him and um, try to take their revenge. And of course, she recognizes him and she says that he's at fault for the death of almost their entire squad. So like I said in the previous episode, it's really not good that Daggerland is still active in his mission, but at least this time he got rid of some bad people. Hopefully he's stopped he should have been stopped even before then. Um, like it would have been great if he was, but at least a few more bad people are done, gone out of the picture. So she tells Geralt she'll now repay him for what he did. And then she goes on the attack, but Geralt dodges the blow of her sword and he throws her on the counter, then takes down Trent with a broom, then disarms Legenza, and he throws his sword up to the ceiling and it plunges into a rafter and it doesn't fall back down. So Trent tries attacking Geralt next, or tries attacking him again. Frigga tries again a couple more times, but he disarms both of them and he adds their swords to the little collection he just created in the rafters. So when he takes Frigga's sword, he says, I thought I'd keep this one for myself, but I won't carry a bandit's weapon. And maybe he should have kept it, kept one of them, since he's now totally without a sword, since his swords were stolen and the replacement that he had was broken in the last chapter, broken and discarded. You know what? You do you, girl. Stick to your principles. But before this situation has the opportunity to escalate any further than it already has, the Temerian royal forces arrive announcing that they're pursuing a gang guilty of knocking over border, border posts, among other crimes. So he's looking for these three. And uh, they warn everybody present that helping out this gang will be construed as treason, which is punishable by execution. But helping in their capture will be rewarded, which makes the next actions taken by everyone here a bit questionable, a bit risky. Uh, the postmaster, he, he doesn't help out maybe because he really is just totally oblivious to who the trio are that just entered and started a whole commotion moments before, but Geralt doesn't identify them. He knows who they are. He knows that this is who the guy's looking for. He does not identify them, though. And then Adario 
comes to their aid. He says that Trent and Legenza are his servants and Frigga is the woman he's paid to be his special bedroom companion during his travels, if you know what I mean. And he slaps her on the behind to make it more believable. And the Commandant recognizes Geralt, by the way. He says that he saw him in Maribor and he recognized him by his white hair. And he says that Geralt's profession is an honest one. So it's nice reception again, compared to most people. I mean, we've definitely seen more examples in this series of people having this prejudice against witchers um, rather than appreciating them and having respect for them. Um, but we did see a little bit of this at the beginning of the book too. So um, even with all the bad luck and bad things going on for Geralt in this book, um, he's met a handful of people that seem to like him for being a witcher. So, I mean, I guess that's something. So anyway, a soldier rushes in. He gives a report to um, Kovacs, the name of the commandant, by the way. He says uh, the gang's been tracked down, so they need to book it and they leave. Then Adario explains his actions. He explains why he was defending these bad people. And he says it's because he, um, although doesn't like Frigga, Lagenza, and Trent, he likes the sight of hangings even less. So their survival was a preferable outcome to him. I mean, I get it. Like, I get that he doesn't like seeing that and would like to avoid it. He could always just look away, though. Maybe it's just that he doesn't want that. Like, if he can help prevent that, even if it's for someone bad, he, whatever. I just, uh, they're going to go out and continue committing crimes the first chance they get. Like, it would have been better to identify them. And not only because of that, but also because their survival here really wasn't worth the risk of Kovacs noticing that he was helping them and then executing a Dario right alongside them. I mean, the postmaster and Geralt might have gotten away with it, but Dario wouldn't have. So I don't think they were worth the risk of getting caught, but it didn't happen. They got away with it. So that's, that's that. I just, I wouldn't have done that. <laughs> uh, well, then Geralt tells them to leave. Tells them to leave. He won't return their weapons, thus ensuring a temporary stop on their malicious activities. I don't know that they would still continue uh, what they were doing with the border posts and um, harassing the Temerian peasants. But I'm sure, like, they're, they're just not good people. They're going to go out and find some way to continue harming innocents. Um, but yeah, it, it will take them a little bit longer since they are now without weapons. They'll get them again soon, sure enough. Uh, but then Geralt decides it's time he was on his way, and Adario is a bit worried that Frigga will return for revenge <laughs> about what he called her and for slapping her on the behind. Uh, he's probably right to be worried, so he says he'll join Geralt. And here, actually, Geralt has a quick recollection, so we didn't see this um, at the time, but he has a quick recollection to when he told the mages at Risberg, Penity, and Zara that he needed to be in Novigrad by the 15th. And they said, um, that's no problem. We can just teleport you right onto the main street. So if things didn't get so messed up, he would have had no problem getting to Novigrad in time for the auction. But such is Geralt's luck. Uh, but Adario says... But there's a way for him to get there on time, even though it's already the ninth. Then they set out, and Adario walks really, really fast. Uh, Geralt can barely keep up, 
he's a he's in good shape too, and he has a hard time keeping up. Uh, he has to keep telling Adario to slow down. Um, but this is a common trait amongst dwarves. They're born walkers, it says. So on the way, on these really fast walks, Adario says their destination is a settlement called Weaterna, as there's a port there where they can probably catch a ride on a boat, getting there much quicker than they would on foot. And Adario, he's actually going to Tredegor, so he'll have to disembark before Geralt does, but they will both be able to get to where they're heading quicker this way. So along the way, along this walking journey, Adario provides some personal details about himself so we get to know him a little bit better. He says that he's a miner, but not in Mahakam, as the familiar Witcher reader might expect, like Geralt assumed, but it's actually in a mine outside of Tredegor, which is in Redania, by the way, uh, if you didn't remember that. And although he called himself a miner, he, um, he says he doesn't mine. He plays the horn in the, um, gosh, this word, colliery, col I trip on it, um, colliery, 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 brass band. He plays the horn in the band at the mine. And one of their songs, funny enough, is called The March of the Witchers. Since um, witchers are not known to be marchers, Geralt finds this odd, but Adario says it's actually just a slight change of another song that's called The Parade of the Strong Men, and they were just trying to be original. And none of this information about the band is integral to the story, I don't think. Um, but it's cute. It's cute detail. So later... They see this boulder with carvings on it related to something about the prophet Lebiota. And this initiates Adario telling a story about how the prophet Lebiota got killed while trying to stop a dragon who had been eating a farm town's cattle. And how, while trying to track down the dragon, the dwarven hunter, hunters and uh, Lebiota's acolytes kept digging up Lebiota's bones from the dragon's droppings. Uh, and they were also collecting the bones of cows and sheep that the dragon had eaten. And to this day, the bones lie in a sarcophagus in the Novigrad temple. And Geralt thinks that he just made that whole story up or he greatly embellished it since he's very familiar with Dandelion and doing the exact same thing all the time. And then he says, um, this is a quote, he says, a story is a largely false account of largely trivial events fed to us by historians who are largely idiots. And I don't have anything to contribute to this quote, but Dario guesses that it was a quote from Visegoda of Corvo. Visegoda was the old hermit who helped Siri in uh, the Tower of the Swallow. I love the little callbacks, especially when it's about characters that I loved. Visegoda was super cool. Uh, so Geralt says, oh, by the way, you mentioned Novigrad while we're on the subject. And Adario cuts him off to assure him that they're on track. They should still be able to make it there on time. And um, this just feels kind of like foreshadowing. <laughs> or really just the frequent mentions 
of making it on time feel like foreshadowing. It really could just be that because he's cutting it so close, he's worried that he's not going to get there by the date of the auction. Um, but it really does make it like the frequent mentions make it feel, make one feel doubtful that he will get there uh, by the time that he needs to be there. And it actually seems a lot more certain once we get to the end of chapter 14, the chapter we're going to begin talking about now. And it begins with the Witcher and Dwarf's arrival at the harbor of Weaterna. So right away, they get there and they spot a little ship. And as they're talking about it, the ship's owner approaches and corrects them that it's a cutter, not a ship. And the man is a stout, middle-aged glove merchant from Novigrad called Kevinard, 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 I don't know, uh, Kevinard Van Vliet. And the figurehead on the prow isn't typical, taking the shape of a busty woman or sea serpent, but it's a, a figurehead of a bald old man. It's meant to be the prophet Labiota. And that is also the name of the ship. So kind of a little coincidence there. They were just talking about it. So Adario asks Kevinard, Kevinard um, why he's on land if a ship is in the water. And he says it's because they're just taking on provisions. And then he says something about a rescue mission. But before he can continue, he's interrupted by another man who approached along with five others. And the interrupter turned out to be... Javel, Yavel, Fish, from the previous interlude chapter. He was the one buying the uh, quote-unquote freak from Shevlov. Shevlov was the one heading the gang of the bad guys knocking over the Temerian border posts. Um, so we get some answers on what that was about in this chapter. Well, Fish tells Van Blier that total strangers don't need to know their business. And then... Fish's partner says, well, perhaps not total strangers, because he recognizes Geralt by Geralt's white hair. And then Geralt thinks about how popular he's become. He thinks he's become too popular. And he considers for a moment dyeing his hair or shaving it all off. I get that. I would be super uncomfortable, too, if I was getting recognized as often as he does. Someone like that, like unless you're the type of person that like loves attention, you don't you wouldn't want to get recognized that much. And if you've got a feature like that that makes you super noticeable, then yeah, I would really be considering shaving off all my my hair or dyeing it. Um, so a few members of the group who are mostly part of the Cutters crew are happy to learn that a Witcher has shown up because. Perhaps he can help them get out of their current situation. But Fish cuts them off again. He doesn't want anybody finishing what they're saying. Uh, so he, Fish, then asks Geralt if he needs to get somewhere by boat. Because if so, he can come along with them. And instead of needing to pay to use the boat, he can just escort them and provide protection should the need arise. And Geralt expresses his suspicion about this offer. He says, there are tricks and catches concealed in your proposition. And Fish tries to deny it, showing him to be pretty dishonest, since as we soon learn, there's a very specific reason they want the company of a witcher. 
And Geralt just says, look, your boy, the glove merchant, let it slip that you're on a rescue expedition and you keep cutting him off. You just keep interrupting everybody. So if you want my help, you better start being honest. And Fish agrees to explain, but he's not going to do so until they're on the boat. And I think this was the biggest mistake. Geralt should have said, nope, just real quick. Tell me what this is about or I'm not getting on. And then things could have gone way differently. Um, but that's not how it happens. So they're on the boat, they're sailing away, and then it's explained that they're trying to free Zymena de Sepulveda, who is the daughter of the Furry. Here's another word that I'm struggling with. Uh, she's the daughter of the, the Furry in Novigrad's owner, Brianna de Sepulveda. Let me try that again. Okay. Brianna de Sepulveda owns this business where they make and sell like furs for fancy rich ladies. Um, her daughter, Zymena, was kidnapped and they're trying to free her. Uh, and she was kidnapped by a she-fox, a vixen. And Geralt hears this and at first he says, oh, that's nonsense because Aguaras, which I guess is like the official scientific name, whatever, uh, they only kidnap elven children. But it turns out that Zymena is an elven child on her mother's side. And this is particularly interesting because from what we learned back all the way in Blood of Elves, only young elves can reproduce. And most of them died in a battle around two centuries ago. And it is said that this girl that they're talking about is only seven. So her mother must be one of the very few living elves young enough to still conceive a child. Uh, it's just the interesting thing is that it really must be slim pickings for these Aguaras because at one point it's explained that the way that the Aguaras continue their species because they don't reproduce the tr traditional way. They have to kidnap elven children and turn them into Aguaras. And the more they take, the fewer elven children there are going to be. So, yeah, I don't think they really got a lot to work with here. Not that I feel sorry for them, but uh, interesting. So, although elves never try to recover their stolen children, some of uh, Brianna's friends felt bad and the Merchant's Guild got together and funded a rescue expedition, which is how Kevinard, Kevinard Van Blier got involved, offering his boat, as well as another merchant referred to as Mr. Parlehi, and they hired Fish for his expertise. So Geralt tells them, it's impossible to recover a child from an Aguara for a handful of reasons, but the most obvious one is that a kidnapped child ceases to be a child. They metamorphosize and become Aguaras themselves, like I was just talking about. And then Fish throws in some comments about his hatred for the species and how he'd be satisfied if they all died out. Sounds like they probably will. <laughs> he might get his wish. Um, even if those they harm are elves, since, quote, the more harm done to non-humans, the greater the benefits for real folk, unquote. He 
says this right in front of Adario, a non-human. Uh, it doesn't take long to learn that this guy sucks. Uh, right off the bat, he's super dishonest and very open about his prejudice beliefs. So he doesn't want to be—he uh, doesn't want to be open about the truth, but he's more than okay um, with being open about the nasty things that he believes. And in front of strangers, too. You know that someone really sucks when they say things like that in front of people they just met. It's like, you don't know how they're going to receive that. But, yeah, not a nice guy. So Geralt advises, return home. This mission is pointless. The best thing you can do is to stay well away from an Aguara. And then the confession comes out. They've already got their child, She-Fox. Only, it's not Zymena, but a different one that they acquired by accident. The quote-unquote freak that was traded in the last interlude was mistakenly taken, um, and they're keeping her. Because, as Fish explains, they think they'll try to sell her for a lot of money to a menagerie. Which is sick. Uh, this child's already been kidnapped twice and he just wants to sell her. I think she probably would be better off at this point to just remain the child of an Aguara and become one herself than to be sold off like that. But it's a, not mattering. We'll get to that in a second. Upon learning this news, Geralt tells Captain Pudlerak to steer right to the bank. We gotta get this girl off the boat, and we need to do it yesterday. This is bad. That Aguara is certainly stalking us. She'll never abandon her pursuit, and she's gonna hurt everyone involved, so get her out of here, stat. And there's some resistance from Fish, who tries to get his bodyguard dude to stop Geralt, but Adario comes out of nowhere and beats up the bodyguard, leaving Geralt free to retrieve the girl from the cabin. And it's about to get really dark here. Geralt and Adario head into the cabin, followed by Fish and Van Blier, and they find a rather disturbing sight. The girl is dead. And she's sprawled out on this bunk. She's not wearing anything from the waist down. And the merchant known as Mr. Parlehi is standing over her, and he says that she started screaming. He only meant to quiet her. So this man that we're just meeting for the first time was doing the unimaginable while he was simply supposed to be guarding her, and then he snapped her neck when she started to scream. It's really horrifying stuff here. So if the Aguara is stalking them and hoping to get revenge on them for only kidnapping her child, imagine what she'll do when she finds out that they killed her child. And we don't really even know everything that she's capable of, but it's definitely not going to be a very good situation. And the whole group is perfectly aware that they are in much bigger trouble than they previously thought they'd be. So Geralt tells them that the only thing that could save them now is trying to flee. And he doesn't seem to feel too good that even that will work, but it's their only hope. So they ask Geralt if he'll stick around to defend them, and Geralt doesn't want to, but he agrees because abandoning anyone in peril of death goes against the Witcher's Code. I think he could make an exception in this case, considering what just happened to that poor girl, uh, but he doesn't. He decides to stay on board. While a sudden storm begins, a severe storm that almost capsizes the boat. 
It doesn't though. The storm passes and they come out of it all right, but there's a heavy fog that rises from the water and the water is mostly still and there's a different smell to it. Then the fog disperses and they, they can see that there's this dense undergrowth on the banks. And instead of the trees that were previously lining the bank, there's rotten tree trunks and different types of foliage. And then Captain Pudlerack shows Geralt that even though they're still following the current, which previously was taking them west, the compass is showing that they're heading east. So the compass is suddenly broken or something more strange is going on. And the last thing that they see before the chapter ends is a woman standing motionless on the bough of a tree hanging over the water, staring at them. And she vanishes, and in her place is a large fox that runs and hides in a thicket. So, sounds like the Aguara, who's caught up to them, may have brought the storm and may be responsible for the sudden change of setting. Although the storm could have been natural though since it's a season of storms but the change of setting the compass that could be her um well like i said we don't know exactly what she's capable of just yet so we'll have to wait and talk about that when we discuss the next chapter in the next episode but for now before wrapping things up we'll talk about the interlude that follows chapter 14 so that concludes chapter 14 so for this interlude we are taken 127 years into the future to see Nimio as she's traveling to Aratusa to begin her magic studies to become a sorceress. And it's a, it's a, not an easy journey. She's not taking the Hogwarts Express. She's got to travel really far and go through scary forests and hitch rides off of strangers on wagons and uh, go through these towns, stop at these towns that are not always pleasant. But it was surprising to see Nimue again. Of all the characters that would return in this book, I wouldn't have expected she to be one since she was a character that, you know, wasn't around in present day throughout the main series. Like, I would have thought... I, I wouldn't have thought that we'd go into the future in this book, but here we are. So she arrives at one of her stops along the way uh, to Gorsvelin, the city that connects to Thanet, if you forgot. And it's a city called Ivalo, which is described as being really smelly. Uh, she isn't going to remember this stop with fondness. So as she's making her way through Ivalo, she's getting food and water. She overhears a few men talking outside a tavern about the ghost ship, the Prophet Leviota, the ship that Geralt was just on in the last chapter. So as someone who lives for the legend that revolves around Geralt and Ciri, uh, she continues to listen to them talk about how it vanished without a trace and how it was manned by a ghost crew and appeared as a specter until the wreck was found. And although there was meant to be treasure on the ship, no one knows if any was found. And some of the lore they're spouting here about the Prophet Leviota boat is inaccurate, which Nimue may not have corrected them on, uh, but they call her out. So, I mean, she wasn't just butting in. They, they, they call her out. They, they ask her who she is and they tell her to show them her ear so they can see if she's an elf uh, because they don't like elves. And after they accost her a bit, she then uh, corrects them about the ship and says it wasn't carrying any treasure. It vanished because it was cursed since the skipper didn't act on the witcher's advice to turn the boat around. So um, 
based on this, it seems like a lot of the people on this ship are going to die. So maybe we can expect to see that in the upcoming chapter. But also, this is 127 years in the future. Like Stories can be warped a lot over time. And like Geralt just told Adario, story, story, <laughs> I said storios. stories are often fabricated. Um, so that could be the case here. And we should not listen to what was said as a spoiler into what happens back in the present day when we get to that part. It's kind of like the whisper down the lane with the story or the, the sentence that's said by the first person is not the sentence that is said by the last person at the end of the, the lane. Well, the interlude ends with Nimue heading out, continuing her journey and thinking about how she's heading to Aratusa. Real quick though, I want to talk about some of the lore. I want to talk about elves again, because the men outside of the tavern wanted to check if Nimue was an elf, which means elves are still around. Elves still exist in this world. But in the Lady of the Lake, Nimue says to conwormers, she says, when the gate opened and the elves left, indicating that the elves left this world and went to another. So for a second, I thought, hmm, is this an inconsistency? Uh, since by Nimue's time, there were no more elves in this world. But then I considered perhaps the elves' departure took place sometime between where we see her in this story and then where we see her in The Lady of the Lake since there could actually be a pretty big gap in time if she's only starting out her magic education in this interlude chapter. And um, when we see her in The Lady of the Lake, she's been done with her education for how long exactly we don't know, but she's definitely completed it and is an established sorceress. She could actually be pretty old for all we know because the sorceresses uh, often look a lot younger than they really are. Um, Probably doesn't matter. It's just the thing. There's not always a lot of specifics given. Like it says that the elves left the world. The gate opened and the elves departed. The elves left. But there's no other details given on that in the Lady of the Lake. So, um, yeah, it's uh, my um, inconsistency radar was on there, but it, it could easily be explained away. Um, really doesn't matter. It's not that important, but I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that. Closing thoughts. This book has many subplots. <laughs> it's like from where we started out and what was going on back in the first several chapters, when you like, think about the timeline, so many different little subplots have taken place. It's interesting. It was very unexpected, at least for me. I was not thinking that we were going to see Geralt fighting monsters and then go to jail and then having this love affair and then going to this mage headquarters castle and patrolling the area looking for demons and then getting caught by this guy that was pretending to be possessed by demons and then getting caught by these people knocking over border posts and then meets this nice dwarf and then ends up on a boat where a fox lady is hunting the people on the boat. Uh, it's just, there's so much. It was, I'm very surprised 
by the story, but it's great. It's, it's a page turner, this book is. I'm, I'm very happy with it still. Um, also, I guess we'll have to wait, maybe, to find out what Daggerland is up to. I um, was hoping to get an update, but we didn't. Not yet. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Um, but I would like to know if he's been stopped or if he's going to be stopped. Is he going to keep having a bunch of people killed like he was? Don't know, but hopefully that's what happens. And also, as I have not finished this book yet, I've read ahead, but I haven't finished it yet, um, I do wonder if Nimue's reintroduction was just a device to further intrigue the reader about what will happen next on the boat, since they were talking about the boat, or if she serves a greater pur purpose down the line. So that's something that um, I was left wondering after that interlude. And then I also wanted to talk about my favorite quote from um, within the content of chapters that we covered today. So there was a point when Adario and Geralt get to the harbor and they see the boat, they see the cutter. And Adario says, someone once rightly listed the three most beautiful sights in the world, a ship in full sail, a galloping horse, and, you know, a naked woman lying in bed. And then Geralt goes to correct him. He says, dancing, a woman dancing, Adario. And then he says, if you say so, a naked woman dancing. <laughs> so he had to make sure he included the thing about her being naked still. That was really funny. Okay, looking ahead. I feel like I've been going on for a while. This is quick, though. I don't have a lot to say here. Uh, what's going to happen to the prophet Leviota? Doesn't look good, but we know for sure that Geralt survives. And I hope that Adario doesn't get killed. He's a great character and he had nothing to do with the Aguara, with the kidnapping. So he doesn't even deserve it at all. Um, yeah, don't want Adario to die. But whatever does happen, it should be very intriguing because uh, they are in trouble. It, we were left off on a very uh, suspenseful note at the end of chapter 14. Uh, also, is Geralt going to make it to Novigrad on time? Such a big question. Seems like there's going to be a huge delay, but yeah, maybe he'll make it. I don't feel too good about it, though. And then last, lastly, are we going to get an update on Daggerlin? Hopefully we get one soon, and it's the update that he's been stopped. I guess he needs to be stopped. All right, that's all I got for you. So just to let you know, in case you didn't, these episodes are available on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for joining, and I will catch you in the next episode.